Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Acts chapter 16, if you will. And I'm just going to read one verse of Scripture, but I'm going to be going through several verses here in the Word of God. In Acts chapter 16... In verse 31, the Bible says, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, once again, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful weather you've given us for tonight. We thank you for the Featherstone family and the music that you've given them, and I pray that you'll continue to use them to bless many hearts. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of music. Father, I thank you for the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, I thank you for the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless the reading of your word and the preaching of your word tonight. And I pray that you would speak to hearts as only you can by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory for any good that comes out of this, for you deserve it all. And I pray and ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I want to uh, share something with you. I've got a few things here I want to talk about before I get right into it, but you know, you're here tonight and you're either in a trial or you're coming out of a trial or you're headed for a trial for such as life, even for the Christian, you know, um, trials will come. Just because you get saved, there's a lot of churches that teach, oh, get saved and everything will be great and everything will be from this, here on out, you'll be fine. But that's not true. Uh, there are trials in life. There are hurts. There are sorrows. Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows. And I'm, I'm thinking about that song we heard Sunday morning. It was so beautiful. The man of sorrows. I had a friend of mine that wrote a little poem. I'll read it to you. My troubles have come and my troubles have gone and more trouble is on the way. One thing is for sure, my troubles endure, for my trouble will meet me today. So often I've tried just simply to hide my face from his long-gazing stare, yet running my best from east to the west, I find that my trouble's still there. From dusk until dawn, my troubles roll on, and it seems that my troubles won't end. But then as I look in the words of God's book, I find there that trouble's my friend. Spurgeon wrote this quote, God will not forget his children, nor will he forsake our care. His compassion is enduring even when we're unaware. Maybe here tonight you're brokenhearted or discouraged or maybe even asking God why. You know, Jesus on the cross of Calvary said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, I think it's okay to ask God why, but remember this, when you ask God why, he may give you a quick answer. He may give you an answer that takes a little while, or you may not get your answer until you see him face to face. That's all up to him. Maybe you're here tonight and you're just not as close to God as you used to be, and you feel like there's a distance. Remember that he doesn't move. We move. I'm reminded of grandma and grandpa. They're driving in the old Chevrolet pickup truck and the seat's all the way across, and it's got the three column gears on the, on the column there. It's an old truck, and they get behind this young couple and you couldn't put a piece of paper in between them. They're so close together. And grandma looks at granddad and says, hey, daddy, remember when we used to ride like that? And he looked at grandma and said, I hadn't moved. <laughs> and 
And that is the same way it is with God. Anytime we feel a distance from God, it's not that God has moved, it's that we have moved. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3, 6, for I am the Lord and I change not. You know, as I was giving my testimony, I was telling you about how my brother wrote me a letter back in 1998. I still have that letter. And uh, I get it out and read it from time to time. It's a, a, a wonderful encouragement to me, a brother that loved me and prayed for me and was kind enough to write me a letter. And in the middle of that letter, he made this statement. He said, Bruce, God has a perfect plan for your life. And guess what? God has a perfect plan for all of our lives. But the only way that we're going to know God's perfect plan is, first of all, to know his perfect son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Savior. Secondly, we need to get into this perfect book, and that's where we find God's perfect plan for our lives. So I want to sing this song, and then we'll preach the message. When your hope is almost gone, and the wind is blowing strong, Heaven seems so silent when you pray When your faith is turned to fear And you can't hold back the tears And friends no longer know quite what to say When you looked and cannot find him And the road is long and dark And you question why he seems so far away When you wonder is he with me does he hear my broken heart? Remember, child, he knows just where you are. Think of Job and how he suffered and the glory of his praise when you just can't seem to face another day. In the trial, God is faithful. He will give sufficient grace. Count your blessings, bow the knee, and walk by faith. When you looked and cannot find him, and the road is long and dark, and you question why he seems so far away. When you wonder, is he with me? Does he hear my broken heart? Remember, child, he knows just where you are. The Lord knows every step you take, every teardrop in your eye. Though often we may not understand, our Father has a perfect plan. When you look and cannot find Him and the road is long and dark, and you question why he seems so far away When you wonder, is he with me? Does he hear my broken heart? Remember, child, he knows just where you are Remember, child, he knows just where you are Our Father has a perfect plan You know, a wonderful thought to me 
is the fact that every tear I've ever cried in my life, God has that tear in a bottle. And he thinks of me, his thoughts of me are more than the sands of the sea. You know, that's a great comfort to me. As I fly across the country, and a lot of times I'm in airplanes, and I'm looking at how big this planet is, and I'm thinking I'm just a speck on there, but there's a God in heaven who loves me and thinks about me. And when I'm down and when I'm discouraged or when I'm hurting or when I have tears, he's taking them all and putting them in a bottle. That's a wonderful thought to me. What a, what a God that we love and serve. What a God. Here in Acts chapter 16 is the story of Paul and Silas. Now, they weren't doing anything wrong. They were doing exactly what God told them to do, but they got in trouble for it. How many of you ever taken a stand for God and got in trouble for it? Has that ever happened to you? Well, if it hadn't happened yet, it's going to happen down the road somewhere, somehow. You know, um, we can read the stories of Jacob and Gideon and Peter and others in the Bible, and we can see how God used them um, because we know the rest of the story. It's written here for us. But we don't know the rest of our story because God's still writing our story. And sometimes we can get discouraged thinking, well, God, what are you doing here? What is going on? And sometimes we just get to the point where we are not trusting God like we should because we're not letting him write. We're trying to write our own story and letting, unless, instead of letting him write it for us, if I can get these words out tonight. I want to read you a little something. I used to... Um, Go to work, and every morning there was a radio program that came on. It was called The Rest of the Story by Paul Harvey. And I used to love those every morning going to work and hearing all the little things. And he had the inflections that he did. I can't read this like he did, but I want to read it to you. It's one of my favorite ones. So let me tell you, Jesse hated this job, and you would too, I imagine, if you had to do it. Jesse was a chicken plucker. He stood in a line in a chicken factory and spent his days pulling feathers off dead chickens. Wasn't much of a job. But at that time, Jesse didn't think he was much of a person. His father was a brood of a man, actually thought to be mentally ill and treated Jesse rough all his life. Jesse's older brother wasn't much better. He was always picking on him and beating him up. And Jesse grew up in a very rough home in West Virginia. Life was anything but easy, but, and he didn't think life had much hope for him. That's why he was doing this job that few people wanted. In addition to all the rough treatment at home, he was always sick. Sometimes it was real physical illness, but way too often it was all in his head. He was a small child, skinny and meek, and that sure didn't help the situation any. And when he started to school, he was the object of every bully on the playground. He was a hypochondriac of the first order. For Jesse, tomorrow was not always something to be looked forward to, but he had dreams. He wanted to be a ventriloquist, and he found books on ventriloquism and practiced with sock puppets and saved his hard-earned dollars until he could get a real ventriloquist dummy. And when he got old enough, he joined the military, even though many of his hypochondriac symptoms persisted. The military did recognize his talents and put him in the entertainment corps. And that's when his world changed. He gained confidence. He found he had a talent for making people laugh and laugh so hard they often have tears in their eyes. Yes, little Jesse had found himself. The history books are full of people who overcame a handicap to go on and make a success of themselves. But Jesse is one of the few who didn't overcome it. Instead, he used his paranoia to make a million dollars and become one of the best loved characters of all time in doing it. That little paranoid hypochondriac who transferred his nervousness into a successful career still holds the record for the most Emmys given in a single category. The wonderful, gifted, talented, and nervous comedian who brought us Barney Fife was Jesse 
Don Knotts. And now you know the rest of the story. But what's the rest of your story going to read like? Again, are you trying to write it by yourself? Or are you trusting God so he can write it for you? You know, you trusted him for the salvation of your soul. Can you not trust him with the rest of your life? Listen to this verse in Psalm 56, 13. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling? Yes, you can trust God. And here in this passage of scripture, we see where two men trusted God. You know, Paul, everywhere he went, he got in trouble. So if you were going to be a friend of the apostle Paul, you better get ready for some hard times. Everybody that hung around Paul ended up suffering for the Savior. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. First of all, suffering for the Savior. So we're going to look at verse 22. And the Bible says, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And again, not for doing anything wrong, but for preaching the truth of the Word of God. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. I want you to know these guys were not treated very well. They were beaten. They were thrown in there. They were chained up. And back in those days, they were in dungeons where it was deep. It was dark. It was dungy where there was no water, nothing to eat. They were thirsty. They were hungry. Sounds a lot like Jesus Christ before he went to the cross of Calvary. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. He was beaten. And here these men are being beaten for doing what God told them to do. But not one time in this passage of scripture do you ever hear them complain about it. You know, a lot of times as Christians, when things start coming in our life, we start complaining about it. And the lost world is watching us going, well, I thought they were Christians. I thought they trusted God when bad things happened. You know, we can lose our testimony and, and we can uh, go through our trials in a way that either pleases God and brings glory to him or does not bring him glory and does not please him. I remember when I first got saved and I was working in Cleveland, Tennessee, and I was working with a bunch of uh, carpenters. I was doing technical work. I was running fiber optic cable and things like that. I'm an old electrician and got hired to do this job. And so there were carpenters there. There were um, air-conditioned people, their carpet layers. There's all these people that were working at this thing. And I'm a brand-new baby Christian. I didn't have my own gospel track back then that God allowed me to put together, but I would buy boxes of chick gospel tracks, little comic book tracks, and I would take them to the job site with me. And the first day that I was on the job, I went around to everybody that worked there, and I said, look, I said, my name's Bruce Fry. I just recently trusted Jesus as my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven, and I'm trying to make sure other people are going to heaven, and I want to share one these gospel tracks with you and while we're working on the job maybe during lunch if you want to talk to me about that I'd be glad to talk to you about that guess what I ate lunch by myself a lot back in those days nobody wanted to talk to me nobody wanted to hang around me as a matter of fact I remember one day I was coming around the corner and there were two or three men there obviously telling a dirty joke or something and and one of them said these words he said "Uh oh he said we better be quiet here comes the preacher I went back around the corner and got on my knees, tears in my eyes, and I said, God, I've been called a lot of things in my life, but I've never been called a preacher before. And that was before God had called me to preach. But that was such an honor to me. And you know what? It was later on down the road when some of those guys had some problems, they started coming to me and asking me to pray for them. And I never did get to lead any of them to Christ, but I found out there were a couple of them that were secret agent Christians. 
They knew the Lord, but they had just kind of joined the pack in there and, and railed on with them against me. But then when st- some things started happening in their family and some, some things started going wrong and sour, they started coming to me and said, look, man, I've been making fun of you the whole time you've been on this job just like everybody else. And I want to tell you, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm a Christian. And I said, well, brother, it's okay. You know, there, you're going to get offended sometime. Offenses will come. But being offended is a choice. You have a choice to either be offended or not be offended. And so all these things were happening like that. I want to read you a few verses of Scripture. Luke chapter 6 and verse 26. Jesus said, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. You know, if you work on a job site and everybody thinks you're the greatest thing in the world, maybe you're not standing up for Christ like you should because when you take a stand for Jesus Christ, everybody's not going to like you. 2 Timothy 3.12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It doesn't say that you might. It says you shall. It's going to happen. John 16.33, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. In John 15.19, it says, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. You know what? If you name the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the world hates you. Now, you can say God all you want to, but you when, when you bring the name Jesus Christ into the equation, that's where the buck stops, if you will. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, Paul penned these words and under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for unto you is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. You see, sometimes we're going to have to suffer for the Savior. And if God's not doing something for you, he's doing something through you or, or to you so he can do something through you because he knows the rest of the story. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, the Bible says, And he, God, said unto me, Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you understand, child of God, that sometimes God allowed you to go through some things so that the power of Christ can rest upon you? Psalm 119.71, David said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Romans 8.17 and 18, If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, because the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. A.W. Tozer said, Before God can use a person greatly, sometimes he must often bruise him deeply. God wants to use you and he wants to use me. That's why God tells us in 2 Timothy 2, 3, therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And it's better to suffer for the cause of Christ than for the cause of Christ to suffer. So here in this passage of scripture, first of all, we see suffering for the Savior. But let's continue to read the rest of the story and look at verse 25. Now my Bible got turned, so I'm in the wrong page. The Bible says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the Bible says the prisoners heard them. I've got a new Bible I'm trying to break in here, but my old Bible I wrote beside that verse, God heard them too. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. 
And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep. You know, Paul and Silas sang, sang, that, uh, sang that old prison guard to sleep that night. Isn't that wonderful? And seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. I want to stop here for just a second. I want you to think about what's going on here. They've been thrown in this prison. They've been beaten. They're in stocks. They're in chains. I don't know if they were hanging from the wall or, or laying on the floor. I don't know, but they were in a bad way. But instead of complaining, they prayed and they sang praises to God. So first of all, in this passage of Scripture, we see suffering for the Savior. But secondly, we see singing for the Savior. When you're going through a trial, do you have the joy of the Lord? Can you still sing? Sometimes it's hard to do that when you're right in the middle of it. I understand that. But you know what? We have an example here because we can see the rest of their story here and how they handled this trial that God had put in their life. Psalm 43, he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praising to our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Psalm 101, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. gladness. Come before his presence with singing. In Acts chapter 5 and verses 40 and 41, said unto him, they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer sh shame for his name. They were singing a song, glory to God. And Peter wrote that we should follow the example set forth by the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in 1 Peter 2, 23, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So when we go through the trials of life, we should rejoice when asked to share in the same kind of sufferings that our Lord endured. Listen to these verses in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. There's the reason. As though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And on their part he's evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You know, sometimes as we're going through the trials of life, we need to remember that God's still on the throne, that he has a perfect plan, and that we can still have a song in our heart. 1 Peter 3, 14, but and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. In James chapter 1 and verse 2, the, the Bible says, my brethren count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials. Not if, but when, because it is going to happen. So first of all, we see suffering for the Savior. And then we see singing for the Savior. And as we continue to read the rest of the story here, we're going to see souls for the Savior. Let's continue to read, starting in verse 32. And they said, well, let me back up a little bit. And the keeper of the prison, awakened out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. See, back in those days, if you were a prison guard and you lost one of your charges, it was life for life. And this prison guard knew, I'm a dead man, so I'm just going to do him a favor. I'm just going to kill myself and get it over with. But Paul said these words, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. 
You know, I thought about this as I was studying out this passage of Scripture, and I, I was thinking, well, maybe they were all in one little room there together. But you know, the Bible didn't say that they saw Paul and Silas. The Bible says they heard Paul and Silas. So they weren't in the same room. And when Paul and Silas were, were praying and were singing that night, I'm sure Paul, with his evangelistic zeal, was praying the gospel in his prayer because he knew there were other prisoners in there that could hear the sound of his voice. And when the doors flew open and the, the earthquake shook, and they said their chains fell off, the doors flew open. Hey, how many of you, if you were in a situation like that, would stay there? Hey, like the roadrunner, I'm out of here, buddy. I am gone. But the Bible says that Paul said, we are all here. Nobody left. You know what I think happened in this, my sanctified imagination, if you will? When those doors flew open, none of those prisoners left. One by one, I believe they all came in there where Paul and Silas were. And maybe they said something like this. Heard you praying. And I heard you singing. And man, I sure didn't have a song in my heart when they threw me in here. They treated me just like they treated you. And I heard you talking about somebody, your Savior, your Lord. Man, I don't know who he is, but I want to have what you have. You know, if we can go through our sufferings and our trials in life, where people can look at us and say, man, how in the world are they doing that? They have something that I don't have. And I believe that's what happened in this story. And it happened. And the person of this keeper of the prison, because he's getting ready to kill himself, and Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he, the Philippian jailer, called for a light, sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. What a beautiful picture of repentance. Somebody who said, I don't care what anybody thinks. I want what you've got. And then it says, and brought them out and said, sirs, there, here's the question. What must I do to be saved? You know, most people think there's something that they can do to be saved. But they gave them the gospel. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And this Philippian jailer believed on Jesus Christ and changed his whole life. Then the Bible says, as we continue to read the rest of the story, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. You know what I believe that Philippian jailer said? I want y'all to come back to my house and I want you to tell my family what you just told me. You know, when I got saved, I drove nine hours from Nashville, Tennessee, back to Aberdeen, North Carolina, because I wanted to tell my mom and dad what had happened to me. I wanted my little brother to know Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm still praying for my dad. I'm still praying for my little brother. But, you know, I, I drove there for that purpose and that purpose only because I wanted them to know Jesus Christ. This Philippian jailer, once he was saved, first thing he wanted was his family to be saved. You know, I wanted my family to be saved. I wanted my friends. I wanted my band members to be saved. I wanted uh, Andy Griffith and Don Knotts to be saved. I wanted country music singers that I'd been hanging out with to be saved. I had a lot of friends and all these people, I wanted them to be saved. It's a wonderful thing. Sometimes God will send a trial in your life because there's a precious soul that needs to be saved. But if your focus is on the trial, you'll miss who it is God's trying to to reach through you because you're not trusting God good enough. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, 
Verses 28 through 30, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. And then in Romans 8, 35 through 39, who shall separate, separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, once you become a child of the living God, you don't belong to you anymore. You belong to him. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit. Here it is. Which are God's. This voice that God has given me, he didn't give it to me so I could be rich and famous. He gave it to me so I could point people to him with it. He gave me the talent to play that guitar so I could use that guitar to point people to Jesus Christ with it. Not for me, but for him. And a lot of times, God allows you to go through some things in life where down the road, you're going to be able to help somebody else who's going through the same thing, but you wouldn't be able to help them if you hadn't already been there and done that and wore the t-shirt out. You know what I'm saying? Because he knows the rest of the story. I want to tell you about a time when I had a little thing going on. It was when I was uh, recording my Christmas CD and down in uh, Evansville, Indiana. And when I was in the studio... I noticed that uh, I wasn't able to reach some of the lower registers that I used to be able to sing and reach all the time. Some of the notes, I just couldn't, couldn't get them. I remember Brother Ed Russ told me, he said, Brother Bruce, he said, do we need to change the key to that song for you? I said, no, Ed, I've always been able to hit them notes. But see, I didn't know the rest of the story. I didn't know that down deep in my vocal cords, there was something growing on my throat. It was called a nodule. And it was, it was causing me to have trouble hitting certain notes. And so then it started getting worse and worse. As a matter of fact, I, I love kids and I love talking to kids. And I was at these churches and my voice had gotten so raspy and so bad when the kids came up to me and I said, hey, how you doing? They'd run the other direction. I mean, it was getting bad. And my wife behind the scenes kept telling me, she said, Bruce, you need to go to a professional. You need to get this looked at. And I was trying all the remedies everybody told me, honey and lemon, stand on your head, do this and that. And I was trying to do everything everybody told me. And behind the scenes, my wife said, Bruce, you need to go to the doctor. You know what, men? Sometimes if we'll listen to the counsel of our wives, it'll save us a lot of time and a lot of money. I'm here to tell you. So finally, I said, you know what, honey? I believe you're right. And I went to the doctor. First thing I asked him, I said, hey, doc, before we get started here, I said, uh, I want to ask you a question. I said, have you ever been born again? You ever been saved? He said, yes, sir, Bruce. He said, I'm a born again Christian. I know the Lord, love the Lord. I said, great. That's all right. And then he took a little wire that had a camera on the end of it and stuck it up in my nose and then ran it down to my vocal cords. And I'm watching it on a, vid, you know, on a TV monitor here. He's telling me all the parts he's going by because he's a doctor and he knows all the names of those things, which I didn't care anything about. But when he got down to my vocal cords, your vocal cords are like a V like this. And there was a little knot and he showed it to me. You see that little knot right there, Bruce? And I said, yeah. He said, that should not be there. That's why your voice sounds like it sounds. He said, we need to go in there with a laser and just burn that right off. I said, okay, doc, I'll get back with you on that. Because <laughs> my first thought was, a laser? Burning something off of my vocal cord? Are you kidding me? 
And so I left the doctor's office and I walked outside and I called my wife on the phone. She said, what did he say? I said, well, he said I have a nodule and needs to go in there with a laser and burn it off. And she said, well, did you set the date to have it done? I said, no, honey, I didn't. She said, honey, will you please go back in there and set the date? You know you need to get this done. I said, you're right, because we had prayed about it, and, and we had, we'd figured whatever the doctor says, that's what we'll do, you know, and trust in the Lord in that. And so I went back in, took my calendar, and I was going to have to take a couple of weeks off after the surgery. And, and after I did that, I was heading to the house. The hospital is about 10 miles from where I live. And I'm riding down the road, and I start having a little pity party, not a big one. But I just started talking to God out loud. I said, Lord, I don't understand. I said, why would you do this to me? I'm trying to preach your word. I'm trying to sing. I'm trying to, to do your will in my life. Why? And then I heard myself talking and I stopped. I said, God, my voice doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. And then it hit me. Maybe there's another doctor. Maybe there's a nurse. Maybe there's a patient at that hospital and God is trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's put me in this position so that I can share the gospel with people. And by the time I got home, I was so excited. I walked in, I told my wife, I said, honey, I believe I know why God's doing this. There's somebody at the hospital needs to be saved and he did this to me so I could uh, give them the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? She said, if you say so. And I said, will you pray with me that I won't miss it? Whatever God is trying to teach me here, whoever he's trying to reach, I don't want to miss it. So I started taking my, uh, my gospel tracts with me. I started taking my testimony CDs. I can go over to that hospital right now. All those nurses know who I am. Hey, preacher man. And, uh, I mean, I love them all. We had a good time talking. I was handing out CDs and gospel tracts. I was praying with patients that were in there. And the day came where I was going to have my operation. My pastor, my brother, and our music pastor came to pray with me, and my wife was there. And I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but God had me in such a place where I just wasn't thinking about me. I was thinking about everybody else. And boy, I wish I could stay in that thought pattern because most of the time I'm selfish and I'm always thinking about me. But that day, as they were praying for me, I was looking around the hospital room there and I'd talked to everybody in there already. But I said, God, there's some people in here that are getting ready to have an operation and they don't know you like I know you. I said, I'm not scared. You've not given me the spirit of fear, but of love and of sound mind. And I say, God, I'm not worried about this. I know you've got this because you're my Lord, you're my Savior, and all things work together for good to them that love you. I said, but there's some people in here, God, they're scared to death. They don't have the peace of God that I have. So as they were praying for me, I was praying for them. And then my brother, my pastor, and our music pastor left, and my wife and I went back in that room, and they make you put that gown on. Boy, I hate that gown. You know, that's why they call it ICU. <laughs> I'm telling you, you put that thing on and it's for everybody to see, you know. And they laid me in the bed and the anesthesiologist came and he started hooking me up because he was going to put me to sleep. And he was telling me what was going to happen. He said, as soon as I flip this switch, you'll be, you'll be gone. You won't remember a thing until you come out of recovery. And, and I said, hey, before you flip that switch, I said, can I ask you a question, young man? He said, yes, sir. I said, if you come to that place in your spiritual life, you know for sure you go to heaven? He said, no, sir, I don't. He said, as a matter of fact, my wife and I were talking about maybe going back to church. We've got two little girls, and we were thinking it'd probably be a good thing to get back into church. And I said, yeah, it'd be a great thing to get back into church. I said, but more important than that, I said, you need to trust Christ as your Savior. You need to be born again. 
And I looked at my wife and I said, honey, I said, do you, do you have any more of my gospel tracks? Do I have any of those left? Because she had all my clothes and everything. And I didn't have any pockets in that outfit I had on, you know. And uh, she said, no, you've given all your tracks away. And I, I, no, she said, you've given all your CDs away. You don't have any more of those. She said, but I do have one of your gospel tracks left. So she handed that to that young man. And when he looked at me and the picture of me and Hank Williams Jr. on the front of that gospel track, he, he just stopped and he froze and he went, you're Bruce Fry. I said, yeah. He said, I didn't recognize you. He said, Bruce, I used to come and hear you when I went to college 30 years ago in a bar at ECU College in Greenville, North Carolina. And all of a sudden I said, all right, God. This happened so that you could allow me to give this young man the gospel. And I shared the gospel with this young man that day, and then they flipped a switch. I went to sleep. The operation was successful. I've had no problems with my throat ever since. But what a wonderful thing to know that God is in control. And no matter what you're going through, sometimes you're going to have to suffer for the Savior. But you can always have a song in your heart. You can always have the joy of the Lord. And you can sing through the trial that you're going through. And then if you're paying attention, there's people out there that God is trying to reach. And you can have souls for the Savior. Trials are so we can learn to lean on Jesus to correct us. Trials are to humble us, to challenge us. Trials come so that we can help others to change us. But listen to me tonight, child of God. All trials are so we can be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Romans 8.29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Why? To be conformed to the image of his Son. In 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oswald Chambers made this statement. The circumstances of a saint's life are ordained of God. In the life of a saint, there is no such thing as chance because God knows the rest of the story. How about you tonight? Has God allowed a trial in your life? Is there something going on in your heart right now and you're saying, God, I just don't understand what's going on here. Maybe even questioning God or asking him why. Can I remind you? God has a purpose and God has a plan because he's a good God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, I want to ask you a question. You say, Brother Bruce, I'm going through a trial in my life right this very second. I don't understand it. I don't even know how to handle it. But I need you to pray for me. Is there anybody out there that would be honest with me and honest with God and say, Brother Bruce, pray for me because I, I am going through something right now. It may be physical, may be financial, it may be spiritual. We say, Brother Bruce, will you pray for me that God would help me to go through this trial in a way that would bring him glory? Is there anybody I could pray for like that tonight? God bless you. 
God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else? Bruce, pray for me because, yeah, there's something going on in my life right now. I, I, I can't control it. I can't fix it. But I believe God is doing something in my heart through it. Pray for me. Anybody else before I pray? Father God in heaven, you've seen these hands that were raised. Your, my brothers and sisters here, they're going through something. And Father, I pray that you would help them to go through it in a way that would bring you glory. And as they suffer, Lord, help them to sing. And help them not to miss who it is that you're trying to reach through them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Souls for the Savior. One last question I'll ask. If you're here tonight and you're not 100% sure that if you died right where you're sitting, you're not sure you're a child of God, would you let me pray for you? I promise you I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Say, Bruce, pray for me because if I died right this second, I'm not sure heaven's my home. I have a question mark on that. I have a doubt. Would you please pray for me? Anybody at all? I'm looking around. I don't see any hands. So, Father, I just pray as the pastor takes over for the invitation time that you would have your will and way in each and every heart. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.